Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Happy Hamster Corner, a podcast about cute, adorable animals, as well as featured stories, collaborations, hamster tips, and so much more. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm super excited for you all to be listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Happy Hamster Corner. As always, I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here with Carrie at Home Sweet Home. Oh my goodness, I cannot talk. <laughs> See, I told you I edit myself or I make more mistakes than my, my guests, so don't worry about making mistakes. All right, I am here with Carrie at Home Sweet Hammy Home. This is a rescue in Arizona. Do you want to say hi to everyone? Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on and talking with me today. I have some questions I want to ask you about your rescue and all that jazz. So let's just get into it, okay? Of course. Um, Yeah. How did you get the rescue started? Yes. Um, Well, so I was volunteering at the Humane Society um, for several years, actually. It was something that we did. My daughters and I have two daughters, and We did it as part of their school work because they were homeschooled. And of course they fell in love with every single dog. And we were trying to, (laughs) we were trying to establish like, you know, we're going to help them get adopted. We're not going to keep bringing them to our house because we we learned early on all four of our dogs are from that ordeal (laughs) and fostering one and trying to get that one adopted didn't work because we fell in love. And and that one we tried to foster is still here 10 years later. So, oh my gosh. So we started out just, you know, volunteering at the Humane Society and then the girls grew up and they entered college and whatnot and they didn't want to continue. So I continued by myself. And it was during the time by myself that I started realizing like dogs and cats get adopted or rescues come through and pull them or rats get adopted or a rescue comes in and pulls them, but hamsters get brought in and they just sit there. And so I started telling my husband, I'm going to bring home a hamster. And he said, yeah, that's fine. And I had two hamsters at the time. Actually, I had three hamsters at the time, but two were my daughter's friends that weren't taking care of them. So my daughter took them away from her. (laughs) And so well, those were like my pets. They weren't rescues or anything. And then there was another that was at a pet store. Every time I would go to get supplies, she stayed there forever. She never sold. And one day I was just gazing at her and they said, hey, you know, she's going up for adoption. She's been here for, it was like eight months or something. She's too old to be sold. And I was like, ooh, adoption? So I went ahead and adopted her. So, So those were my three. So I figured if I just brought home one from the Humane Society, I could adopt that one out. Well, that didn't work. (laughs) So he ended up and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I gave up the idea of having, you know, trying to do something like that. I wasn't even considering it being a hamster rescue at the time. And I just kept hearing. And every time a hamster came in, I would stop whatever I was doing with dogs or cats. (laughs) And I'd make my (laughs) way over there because I'd see people walking up to the, you know, the entry and they'd have their critter trail. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, a hamster. (laughs) So, yeah, I would get over there and they knew I was coming. And sometimes they would send someone to get me if I didn't see that someone was bringing a hamster in. But so I was there for the hamster's intake. And as soon as they, okay. the person dropped the hamster off and left, then I would help get the hamster acclimated or, you know, or, you know, I would give advice and they would be like, will you shut up? <laughs> and so <laughs> oh. we, weren't, we weren't doing things right. But okay. So one, yeah. one, one of the volunteers was just 
really encouraging. And she says, why don't you just start your own hamster rescue? And I'm like, yeah, who does that? Um, I don't, I've tried that not working. Like, you know, I didn't know the first thing about it. And plus we tried the dog rescue and that flopped. So (laughs) I'm like, it's going to be, I'm going to have a house full of hamsters and not, you know, be successful. And so I didn't, I just, I thought about it for a whole year and, you know, I I would start to decide to do it. Then I would say, no, I I need more experience. I need to grow and, you know, get like a presence in the community first. And so instead of starting the rescue, I started writing educational posts and posting them on Craigslist. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. It, It worked though. It worked because all of a sudden people were like, hey, you have the right idea. And a bunch of encouragement poured in. And I met someone who was actually rescuing hamsters. And she was like, what you're doing is amazing. And your posts are like spot on. And she's like, you know, keep doing it. And maybe we could work together. And so a couple months later, we ended up working together. She could only help me, you know, I had gotten it established by that point, and she could only help me a little bit. And eventually, she couldn't help me at all. But she's we're still really good friends. And I learned a lot from her. And then I just kind of established it from that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that is a, that's like a crazy, crazy, crazy story. So it's like yeah. you were unsuccessful with the dog rescue. <laughs> Which, I mean, that would be very difficult. I could see, too, with kids wanting to keep the keep the dog and all that and then it just turned into something completely different down the road with the hamster rescue. So right. that is that is so cool. But I'm glad you decided to actually go full in and do it. But you mentioned a little bit about Craigslist posts. Do you mind telling me a little bit more about that? Because, I mean, I've, I've never even heard of this. <laughs> so no. um, Everyone really will knock Craigslist and be like, oh, there's too many crazy people on there. That is true. But there is some decent people, too, who generally will go to Craigslist and they want to adopt a hamster. They know not to buy one from the store or they had a bad experience buying one from the store. And so I've gotten a lot of interest. And so I just make educational posts. And um, lately, like in the last year, my posts have been getting flagged. And I think it's because there's certain people that I won't adopt to, but I never had that problem in the beginning. So in the beginning, my posts stayed up and I would set up a really nice cage and take a picture and then I would compare it to like a critter trail. And so I was able to uh, educate people that way. And oh, okay. I, still, awesome. I still can do that. I just have to be really tricky. I have to kind of, instead of saying in the post that I'm from home sweet hammy home, I have to actually like post a picture of it. Otherwise, the person or the people will see it and they'll flag it. But, but it's successful oh, okay. and it, it does it reaches a whole wide range of audience that you would never even know. And for example, yeah. there are there are a lot of mothers who have you know young sons or daughters who they want a hamster. They just don't know what to do and they go to the store and they get overwhelmed. They don't even know anything about the rodent mills. They just get overwhelmed with everything and instinctively they'll look at the small cages and say something's not right. And so then they decide to just go ahead and get a hamster that already has a cage. And where do you get one like that? You look on rehoming groups. Right? <laughs> so that, and yeah. then they find me. And then they contact me. And then before I do anything, I offer education and they're too happy to accept that. And so a lot of my adopters have been in that situation. They've started not knowing anything. And then, you know, they see my post on Craigslist and then they contact me. And then all of a sudden, I take them from nothing to knowing everything you could possibly know, and they're really good candidates for adoption. Yeah. Fun fact, actually, I did 
get Linka from somebody on Craigslist. Oh, see? <laughs> that was, yeah, that was getting, um, they had an accidental litter with the two hamsters mm. that they adopted. Yeah. And they thought they were both female, but they weren't, obviously, and had an accidental litter. And that's how I got Linka. But yeah, so it, it's crazy how things things happen like that. But it is. It, that is so cool that you post educational things on Craigslist because I wouldn't have even thought about that. That's definitely something good to know. And for people looking for that type of situation, they will see that in a different area. So, you right. know, not just doing research if people aren't necessarily thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and Google this and, you know, figure out what is the size of a hamster cage and proper hamster care and all of that. Right. They go to look for some hamster and they see that post on there too that does show proper care. So thank you so much for doing that. And that, oh, that's just so cool. That, you, you kind of blew my joints a little bit. It's I'm like, my I pleasure. Would, yeah, I never would have thought that people would have went there. But that's definitely, yeah, a little gap that people need to know about. Yeah, to find... Yeah. And, and you know, when I do tell people that they're like, oh, you're, you're taking your life in your hands because crazy people stalk Craigslist. I'm like, yeah, but I stalk Craigslist too. And if I, (laughs) if I see someone in a cage, you know, that's smaller, then I'll reach out and try to pass on education that way. That's not always received very well, but it it still, at least I feel like I'm doing something. And I used to be yeah. able to, before I got, you know, so many animals in the rescue, and this is like two years ago, you know, once in mm-hmm. a while, a hamster gets surrendered to the Humane Society, I would say like once, maybe every three, four months. And so whenever a hamster would get surrendered to the Humane Society, I would be volunteering and I would bring that hamster here and, and get that hamster adopted out. But, you know, there was oh, a time okay. where I only had like three hamsters and I started taking in mice and then I started taking okay. in jackets, but, you know, it was... It was like there wasn't so many hamsters and there was never any on Craigslist. But the minute somebody posted one on Craigslist, I had gotten so known in the community that people were already sending me the link before I even seen it. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) In the beginning, when my friend was helping me, you know, she had already been rescuing hamsters. And so we were just Mm -hmm. on Craigslist and she would tell me, hey, did you see this one? And I would send her one, you know, and so everyone that got posted on Craigslist, we were taking into the rescue. And so that's, that's wow. how we kind of got started. And then I was able to talk with the people who were surrendering and teach them just in case they ever get another hamster again, they needed to know. And so we never came down hard on anyone. I'm, I'm sure I was yeah. grumpy with people it, once in a while. I'm sure I had like a grumpy moment with them <laughs> because <laughs> I know like I caught, we tried to get, a lot of people tried to scam us in the beginning. They would say that they were going to do a big giant cage and they would send us a picture of like somebody had posted on Pinterest and I don't know what they were trying to get the hamster oh, weird. for, but I, we have such high standards and I'm so strict with people that, you know, after a while they would see that they couldn't get one past me. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, and I wouldn't be able to approve an adoption like that either. So um, yeah. it took me a while to develop all of those really high standards, but I, I developed them from talking with people who reached out because they saw my post on Craigslist. No, that's important to have high standards, especially in a rescue because you want to make sure that that hamster is going to get that standard of care right better or equal to what you can provide for them in the rescue. You're not going to give them back to a bad situation. 
And, you know, because that could even turn around and the hamster or something bad happens to the animal or they come right back to you or to another rescue or another situation. And so it's not solving the issue by giving somebody a hamster that's not going to take proper care of it. Exactly. And that's, and I tell that to people from the very beginning, I tell them I'm very, I have very high standards. I'm very strict. And, but if you stick with me, I will teach you everything you need to know and you will be equipped to give a hamster a happy life. You know, if you want to drop at any time, you are welcome to, but I'm going to push as much education as I possibly can into and get that into them because they are going to get a hamster somewhere else. If I don't approve the adoption or they get tired of dealing with me, they'll go get one from the store. They'll get one off of Craigslist. You know, they'll, they'll find one. And so I want to make sure that that hamster is going to be taken care of all of its life. Yeah. And at least you tried to, you know, educate. And even if they do turn around and go somewhere else or whatnot, that you at least you tried, you know, That's one of the biggest things within this community and frustrations that people have with this is people don't always listen to or take part on the, you know, advice that you give them or telling them or education that you give them for proper hamster care. But it's like, at least you tried, at least you said something, at least you tried to educate and told them this information. So that's important even just in that sense. So then your conscience is clear knowing that even if it's up to them, whether they make that decision or not to have proper hamster care, but at least you educated them to that point. Um, So they can't just say, Oh, I didn't know, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Definitely. That's actually how I developed the method of just placing a hamster in the proper setup right from the beginning, because Plenty of times they would hear everything I was saying, but then they'd be like, so I can't do what you're talking about in a pet store cage. (laughs) And then I would, (laughs) and you know, bin cages, they're not, you can dress them up and make them look cute. And, you know, you could put stickers on the outside and stuff, but they're not going to be as, as eye pleasing as like some other things. And that's the competition between a bin cage and like a critter trail and those critter trails that come with those lights, you know, how are kids ever going to want a plain boring plastic tub versus lights on a critter trail, (laughs) you know, kids gravitate towards that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, that's going to always kind of be a challenge, but so when I set the, the bin cages up, I make sure that right from the beginning, the hamster is going to be able to thrive just in case the hamster doesn't get adopted, but also, if they don't have their own cage and they just don't know the first thing about getting one and it's all intimidating to them, they can just buy the cage I set up and I only charge them what I paid for it. And sometimes it's a little less. I give them a lot of things for free. So it's, and it's, so it's worth it for them. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like two, they can't, they can't say, well, I don't have the the means to provide whatever, you know, proper, enclosure for them. It's like, if you're willing to give that to them or sell that to them at the same price that they would get, you know, those materials themselves and they're cheaper, like way cheaper than a critter trail. Yeah. And the hamster's going to thrive in there. It's, it's not going to thrive in a little tiny critter trail. They're just not, they're not. And then if I get them set up in a good cage and then they have like I mean, I don't accept 20 gallons, but a lot of people have 20 gallon tanks and yeah, 
I would never take them out of one of my bin cages and put them in something worse. You know, <laughs> they're either going to yeah. have to stay in my bin cage or they're going to have to go to better. And also a lot of people now are having big night angel cages. They're having big DIY cages. And that is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> That's what I want. And so if I see people that have something better than a bin cage, oh, it's on. We can do the adoption because <laughs> they still have to go yeah. through application and I still have to verify everything. And, but by the time we get done, so they can't apply for adoption on a Friday and get a hamster on a Saturday. It just doesn't work like that. It usually takes about a month. And that's even with oh, wow. really well-educated people. Sometimes there was one family, they applied like in August and they didn't even adopt until January. And we oh went, I mean, we, they learned everything. I mean, they, and she kept, I kept, I leave it up to people. I'll give them some information. They'll analyze it, you know, then they'll email me back and say, okay, we're ready to move on. And she kept emailing me back and I'm like, she's going to disappear. They're not going to be into it. But no, they were really into it. And so by the time their adoption took place, I was really happy to adopt to them. They were wonderful. Wow, so, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it just takes some time for, for people to di digest all of the information that goes along with it. Right. So especially right. if they're, you know, possibly, I don't know the situation, but maybe they were going through and doing their own research you know, like fact checking everything. Right. And that that is a really good sign too. you know, people who verify information and, and look up and do research for themselves. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about this process for adoption. I would love to know this. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure other people would love to know this as well. What is what does the process look like for adoption through a hamster rescue? Because personally, I haven't gone through this process yet. Okay. <laughs> um, but my next hamster I would like to get from a rescue. But what does that process look like? So I might do it different than other rescues. I don't know. I haven't ever asked. But the process for, for Home Sweet Hammy Home actually begins before I ever even bring a hamster into the rescue. And oh, wow. as soon as I learn that there's a hamster or hamsters that are going to be coming, Everyone that's worked with me knows, I'm like, okay, how many, which ones are males, which ones are females, you know? And so mm -hmm. I'm already assessing the situation and trying to figure out, like, are these going to be able to be adopted? You know, looking at their ages, looking at their temperament, looking at their health. And so yeah. by the time they get here, I've already done quite a bit of preparation and I've already had in mind, you know, what the people that I'm working with at the time, if any of these would be good fits for them. I don't ever, I, nobody can contact me and say, hey, I just want to adopt Hoku because they might not be a good match for Hoku. Hoku is a very particular hamster. She's only got three legs and she lets it be known oh that she's like in charge. <laughs> yeah, so people oh see yeah. how cute she is, but they have no idea what her temperament is like. And so I would match yeah. her with the perfect match. And so that doesn't mean that they can't, they, they'll still be able to adopt one of the other hamsters, but it's whoever is going to fit with them perfectly. And so oh my gosh, and, you're like a hamster matchmaker. <laughs> I'm trying to be. That, that's always been my goal. <laughs> my goal. Oh, I love it. Usually people are like, oh, we'll take whoever you think will be the best fit for us. And by the time, you know, I've spent so many, much time with them, I'm able to figure out, okay, this one is going to be good for their family or this, you know, the one that they kind of have thought is not going to be. Or the hamster might develop a health issue, and so I don't adopt out unhealthy hamsters. And so then they yeah. have to, to choose from one of the other availables, which is one of the positive things about having so many. Because back in the day, you know, <laughs> if I only had five and four couldn't be adopted out, well, they were 
able to adopt the one. <laughs> but, yeah. But, so that's like the positive thing about having so many. But um, I guess that is super cool. <laughs> thank you. I guess <laughs> by the time the hamsters arrive and I've I've been able to get to know their personalities, I've already prepared for them. And so that the process has already been started, but people haven't contacted me yet to adopt them. So the people don't even know that the process is already in the middle of it. <laughs> but so then yeah. when, when I get to know them, you know, I'm setting up their cage, I'm kind of changing, making changes according to, you know, their abilities in the cage and whatnot and giving them extra if they need like a little more something to do or, you know, they need something adjusted. So I've already gotten an idea of their temperament and their personality. So then when someone contacts me within the first couple of minutes of talking to them, if they're going to stick with me and they're going to follow the entire process, then I can mm-hmm. figure out in my mind, well, this one's going to be a good match for this family, you know? And so, so they don't know okay. that the process has already started, but I've already got it in effect. So then, then they just have to okay. comply with all the requirements. And then if they comply with all of the requirements, then we can do the adoption. Oh, okay. Awesome. And what are those, do you mind going over the like criteria yeah. Well, Are those requirements? yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be the right size cage. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's always the battle. That's always the battle. They don't really care too much about anything that goes inside the cage, but the fight is always, well, wait a minute. If you're saying that I have to have that big of a cage, that's not going to fit my house. And so, oh so I'm, I'm always, you know, the cage is the first one. And so that's also a reason why sometimes people take longer to get ready to adopt because they have to make room. <laughs> and yeah. I'll show them pictures of like how I've made room and they're like, okay, we can do this. <laughs> so, yeah. so the cage is the first one. It needs to be 600 square inches or more. So like the equivalent of a 40 gallon breeder tank or like mm-hmm. what I use, I use the 200 quart um, Sterilite stackers. They're bin cages. And mm-hmm. so- so it also needs to have a properly meshed lid. You get people who say, well, I can't do that. So they'll just drill a bunch of holes. And I can't approve that because that's not enough ventilation. But yeah. my husband is a whiz at meshing these lids. And so if they're going to come here to adopt anyways, you know, they, if they're not going to purchase the enclosure, but they want to do their own bin cage, my husband can mesh the lid. And so oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we have a properly meshed lid. So then that will meet the requirement. And then they need to obviously use unscented paper-based bedding, um, you know, no unsafe. Mm-hmm. And then they need to have a number of enrichment. I require a sand bath, um, no bathing dust. Um, they have to have at least two places to hide in the cage, um, two toys like a climbing toy or a bridge or a cork log or something. They have to have two appropriately sized tunnels <laughs> and they have to have the appropriate okay. size wheel. And, you know, and I go over like what's appropriate and what's not. They also have to feed yeah. a proper diet and I go over all that. And then I also have a list of, of things that are prohibited and they have to agree to that. And that's in my adoption contract as well. Oh, Okay. That, that is awesome. So you have, like you said, really high standards for, which is a good thing. Definitely do. don't want to put the animal in a worst case scenario than what should be provided. So right. that is awesome that you do have that criteria and helps educate people to what is the proper standard that they should be following. So right. yeah, that is awesome. And I'm I'm proud of you for having having that criteria for people to 
to follow before you even go ahead and say, all right, I'm going to hand this over to you and, you know, you take it from here. But well, there's yeah. one, there's one more tiny thing I should mention, but okay, I don't make this be spoken. <laughs> this is kind of unspoken, but when I'm talking with them, when I have the, our, the first contact is usually through email or text, or sometimes they will call, but then I set up okay. a phone. We do a, like an interview over the phone. And so in oh, the okay. interview questions, some of the first questions I ask them is if they have other pets. And so a lot of times they'll say, you know, yeah, I have a bunny rabbit or I have guinea pigs. I'll have dogs and cats. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I don't bring bunny rabbits into the rescue, but if they tell me they have a bunny rabbit, but it just lives out back and they hardly see it, that's a red flag. <laughs> if they say they have guinea yeah. pigs, but they shove them in a closet and they're, they're living in like a little two foot cage, well, that's also a red flag. And so yeah. I don't tell them right then and there, but I just notate it on my interview questions. And then throughout the process, I start kind of telling them, hey, you know, you need to <laughs> be thinking about your bunny rabbit. Your bunny rabbit is at risk being living outside. So I won't yeah. adopt to them if they if they change the care. I haven't actually had that happen yet, but if they change the care 100 percent and start providing exactly what bunny rabbits need or exactly what guinea pigs need, I would consider adopting. But most of the time, by by the time we get to that point, I wouldn't have even adopted yeah. a hamster to them and they're not taking care of the pets they do have. So yeah. it's, it's an opportunity to give them education on other pets too. But at the same time, it's sad because they're trying to get another pet and they're not even taking care of the one they have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is something really interesting and good to take note on because yeah, what makes you think that they're going to be able to, to take on another animal when they can't even or aren't even providing proper care for the animal that they already have. Right. Um, that's just adding that level of possible neglect right. to either the, the animal that they already have currently or the hamster that they would be possibly getting. Right. So yes, that, <laughs> that's really important too, to note that um, how do they even care for the animals that they have if they do have any, which yeah, is something that I, I didn't even think about, but yeah, that's, that is important. How how do you care for the animal that you currently have? Right. Um, and I didn't always have that. It just kind of developed over time. I realized, uh -huh. you know, people and there was a lot of times people wanted to adopt a hamster and they already had three hamsters, but they had them living in 10 gallon tanks. And oh so gosh. it kind of opened up my eyes to, you know, I won't adopt out in a situation like that. But then I also need to approach it really gently and professionally and be like, hey, so, you know, 10-gallon tanks are not <laughs> ideal. Let's see what we can do about yeah. updating your hamsters, you know. And so I made a lot of friends that way, but I made some enemies too. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it, it happens. Not yeah. everybody's going to take take advice. So Right. Right. So, yeah, that's – but, you know, I'm thankful for the ones who do and for the ones that I can help indirectly, you know. Yeah where their hamsters don't have to live in 10 gallon tanks their whole lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's why I always say like, it's so important to, to spread the word on this and education is so, so, so important right. when it comes to proper hamster care, because yeah, just tons of people out there don't know. I mean, yes, you're always, always going to have those people that just, you know, close up, lash out and call it a day. Right. And exactly. You know, but at least you have an impact on one or two 
other people that didn't know and genuinely take that advice and run and thrive with it. So you do run that risk, but there's always going to be those people out there. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still tell people, hey, this is the standard of what you should be following. It's important to still reach out and let people know that. Right. And, And also, I do have a background where I didn't always know everything properly um, when it comes to hamster care because oh, I did. Most of us haven't. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I grew up with hamsters as pets. We were not allowed to have dogs and cats, and so back oh, okay. in like in the '80s and '90s, you know, they they didn't. There was no such thing as PetSmart and Petco, and the pet stores were like mom and pop shops, and they did all their own breeding. And so we would get our hamsters from there. We didn't know what we were doing. There was no YouTube. There was no internet. You know, and. Mm-hmm. And I even remember, like, I grew up and had my own kids, and my kids wanted hamsters. And so when when they had hamsters, I was looking at the pet store cages. By then, PetSmart had come around. And I was like, gosh, these cages are bad. And so I would sneak and put the hamsters in a big plastic tote. And my kids would be like, when my friends come over, I'm hiding the hamster cage in my closet. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> and I, you know, it was. It's kind of embarrassing, you know. So oh, but, but the yeah. hamsters loved the big, the extra space. And I saw that was my indicator right then and there, how much mm-hmm. happier they were in the bigger totes, even though we didn't have it proper than they were in the the small plastic cages. I don't think critter trails may, they may have been out then. I don't know what the cages were called then, but but there was yeah. a difference in the hamster behavior. And and so once I started learning, like, hey, there's a hamster community out there, and they actually frown on those and they promote the plastic cages. I was like, shoot, we can I can do this. <laughs> and so yeah. I never looked back. I never put hamsters in those small cages again. And my husband learned how to mesh the lids and I couldn't, I could not do the rescue without my husband because he will build cages for me. He will mesh lids. He will fix anything that's broken and all of that. right there. That's like the foundation of me being able to do this rescue. So that that's amazing. Shout out, shout out to him. (laughs) (laughs) That, that is super cool. And I mean, we all start, or most of us start at, at Square Critter Trail, like I like to call it, because, I mean, even the people who promote the best care these days or are known for proper care and education and all of that, they started out at Square Critter Trail, yeah. <laughs> like, number one, you know, and it's just because of that huge lack of education back in the day. Like, even when I was younger and we had a hamster and we, I made tons of mistakes, tons of mistakes with hamsters in the past. And it's just like, well, I learned and changed my care. Just like you said, you know, you got mm-hmm. those bin enclosures and yeah, maybe they weren't the <laughs> the most attractive looking things for your kids, but the animal was so much more happy. And that's, that's the point, you know, mm-hmm. just even having Petra and her bin enclosure, it's, it's not the most attractive looking, looking enclosure, but she loved it in there. And so right. it definitely makes a difference in how they live their lives. And that's their entire world too. Right. They live their entire life. Most of the, you know, in that little enclosure. Exactly. And their so lives like, are short. So we don't want to make them live in something that's not appropriate their whole lives. Exactly. So yeah. and I, I am really thankful that I did have that whole entire experience because now when I talk to people, I can point back to that and be like, so this is how I used to do it. And I didn't even know it was wrong. And so I had to learn all of this too. 
And mm-hmm. so that's so much better than doing everything right from the beginning and being like, well, you're doing it wrong <laughs> because they're yeah. not going to, they're going to feel accused and condemned and people get defensive easy. And so oh, yeah. mm-hmm. we've had to try to develop a way to, you know, explain to them and come alongside them and, and tell them I'm doing this because I once also thought that way and I had to learn. And so I know what it's like, and then they're more receptive. Yeah, exactly. And they know that, you know, you're human too. You've made mistakes as well, and you're not, you know, striking down on them. And, you know, we all make mistakes. It's whether we learn and grow from those. So, right. Yeah. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed the first part of that collaboration with Carrie from Home Sweet Hammy Home. Thank you again, Carrie, for coming on, and I decided to split this into two parts because this episode was just full of awesome information, and I did not want to make the episode too long, but then I didn't want to cut any of the information out, so I decided to just split it up into two parts. So the next half of the episode will be out next Friday, and thank you again, Carrie, for coming on. This was an amazing conversation we had so much fun and yeah I am always taking on new collaborations so please reach out to me if you want to send in a write-in to be featured on the podcast or if you want to come on the podcast with me and share your story your tip your trick anything like that so reach out to me at Petra the hamster on Instagram or the happy hamster corner at gmail.com and we can set up a time to collaborate (laughs) so yeah if you're interested in that let me know and I'm gonna get into Holly's hamster tip of the week this week is always support local if you can whether that be a local rescue or a local shop um, supporting local is worth it (laughs) so support a rescue if you can support something local if you can that's the tip of the week (laughs) uh okay so yeah that wraps up another episode of the happy hamster corner thank you guys for being patient with me and getting this collaboration out and everything so yeah last week I just needed a little breather and I was not going to be able to get the collaboration done so I appreciate you guys being patient with me and taking a week off from the episodes and I just absolutely love and appreciate all of you guys out there in the hamster community and yeah I hope you have a wonderful weekend and week next week but look forward to the rest of this collaboration next Friday. But first, and of course, as always, have a happy one, guys. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm recording. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actively recording as you're putting a fan over there. It is helping, thank you.